Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. The following is a paid advertisement from Go Gray Hair Care. Hi, have you heard about Go Gray Hair Care? Go Gray is a hair care system made to help you transition your dyed hair into your natural gray seamlessly. Go Gray has products for every step of the Go Gray journey. Whether you have just decided to ditch the dye or you're already embracing your natural gray and silver hair, and you're looking to brighten and nourish your overall hair appearance. Go Gray formulas are packed with aloe vera, soy protein, provitamin B5, and other nutrient-rich ingredients, including oat bran, orange peel extract, and olive-derived squalene. You can follow Go Gray at Go Gray Hair or visit their website, www.go-gray.com. Go Gray Hair Care is available exclusively at Walmart and at walmart.com. Welcome to today's episode. I'll be speaking with the research team from the DIG FASD study. Dr. Tatiana Farood is the lead scientist for the DIG FASD study at the Indiana University School of Medicine and has been researching FASDs for over 15 years. In addition to FASD, Dr. Farood also researches other disorders, including Parkinson and Alzheimer diseases. As a geneticist, she studies the link between genetics and disease risk. One way she does this is by using a technique called whole exome sequencing, which involves determining the exact order of the base pairs, chemical letters in a person's DNA. I'll also be speaking with Dr. Leah Wetherill, who is one of the lead scientists for the DIG study at the Indiana University School of Medicine. Janine Schultz. Janine is a genetic counselor who works on the DIG FASD study at the Indiana University School of Medicine. And Abigail Erickson. Abby is a clinical research specialist who works on the DIG FASD study. I'm thrilled to be speaking with the DIG FASD study team from the Indiana University School of Medicine. Welcome to today's episode of FASD Hope. I am with a fantastic group of researchers and this amazing DIG research, FASD research project. And I already like them. They are prepared and ready to rock today's episode. So I'm thrilled to have Dr. Tatiana Fruit, Leah Wetherill, Janine Schulze, and Abby Erickson. Welcome to FASD Hope, everyone. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we are learning today about this wonderful DIG research study that's based out of Indiana University School of Medicine. And I'm going to start with Tatiana and we'll work around the Zoom and talk about the study and how impactful it is on the FASD community now 
and in the future. So Tatiana, can you uh, start off with how you became involved in FASD research? So first, Natalie, thank you so much for having us on. We're, we're really excited. This is um, sort of the highlight of our week that we're able to join you. So let me tell you a little bit just about um, how, I, how I got into this um, research area. So I'm a geneticist, and I've been working in that field for uh, longer than perhaps I, I care, to, care to admit to all of you. But I first became involved in fetal alcohol syndrome research probably around 2001, um, and actually became part of a really important consortium in 2003. So I'll tell you one story as we get started. Um, in 2001, when 9-11 happened, I was at a conference for fetal alcohol syndrome research that was planning for the consortium that I'm going to tell you about. And we were all in Spain. And uh, it's, it's the way you always remember where you were. And I always remember what I was thinking about, which was fetal alcohol syndrome research. So that planning group led to what we call a grant from the NIH um, that allowed us to start and continue research that we've now been doing for almost 20 years focused on fetal alcohol syndrome. So let me tell you the name of the consortium, and I know you've had a couple other speakers from this group. So we call it CFASD, and it stands for the Collaborative Initiative on Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders. So CIFASD, if anyone's looking for that. So it's a group of researchers around the world. We're all tied together because we're all interested in understanding fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. That's what we all care about, what brings us together. But we all do it in different ways, and I think that's very important. So we're linking about it in terms of what's the frequency or prevalence of the disorder around the world. We're interested in understanding how do we recognize individuals who have been exposed to alcohol prenatally? How can we develop better ways to screen and identify those individuals? How do we understand what is occurring and what are the clinical um, and health problems that individuals have? And we're all interested ultimately in is how can we improve care and potentially develop interventions and ways that we can improve and help the life of individuals who we suspect or believe um, have been exposed to alcohol prenatally and have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So that's really our tie-in. Um, the group's been together for 20 years. Perhaps what's um, unfortunate is we're still together because we're still trying to develop um, the best interventions, but it's a fantastic group. And again, I know you've had several people on there and that's, that's my connection. And that's how I started with the group. Fantastic group of researchers. This is Leah, and um, so Tatiana mentioned that this all started in 2001, and that's actually when I became involved because I was a statistician, I still am a statistician working for Tatiana, and um, I was asked by the person who organized a, a handful of scientists to study um, FAS. They were all studying FAS separately, individually, and he said, I think we can do better if we can combine everyone's data together. So that's why I was pulled in as a statistician. So instead of having six different groups of 50 people each, now we've got, we've got 300 people in one data set. And that gives you a lot more power to detect differences, even subtle differences and lots of different measures. And the other thing this person did, Dr. Lee, he, he had a passion for FAS and he had been to Cape Town, South Africa and saw firsthand the effects. And he, he told Tatiana, you need to write a grant and get money to have a three-dimensional camera system so that we can study the face because, you know, FAS is the extreme end of the, of the spectrum, but you can have very, very subtle differences in facial features that could be correlated with neurocognitive measures, math disabilities, you know, a lot of different things, but you don't recognize it. A, a person can't detect those facial features. So he had the foresight to 
tell Tatiana to do that. And Tatiana said, I'm a geneticist. <laughs> so you can do it. And she did. And she was, she's been great. And so that's how I became involved as a statistician. And then I learned how to use the three-dimensional camera system. I've been to South Africa with it in several places across the United States. And I've trained some of the sites that are in our consortium to use a 3D camera to, to help study the facial features of FASD. Um, and so as my name is Janina and my experience with FASDs actually started during my training as a genetic counselor. Um, I had the opportunity to work in pediatric clinics with kids and families with FASDs, sometimes helping them to find a diagnosis and at other times just helping to advocate for developmental services in the school and at home. Um, I also had the chance to work with some after-school programs uh, to support adoptive parents who had children with FASDs. And so when I came to Indiana University to work with their research team, uh, Tatiana asked if I wanted to be a part of the DIGFAST study. Um, and I was very interested in working with this wonderful group, uh, specifically on some of you know, the, the healthcare needs that correspond uh, for kids with FASDs and people in general. Hi, I'm Abby. So I was hired to be a clinical research specialist for the DIGFAST study. Um, and so basically a big part of my job is to help our participants as they enroll in and complete the study from their home. Um, before starting on the study, um, I had pretty minimal knowledge of FASD, um, but I interact with our participants and families on a daily basis. And just through the last, just a little over a year, I have really learned a lot about the effects of prenatal alcohol exposure and its impact on families and people who are diagnosed with it. So Tatiana, you mentioned the dig fast study. Let's learn. And can you tell us more about it? I would love to Natalie. So Leah's already spoken a little bit about it. It all, my, my whole work in, in fetal alcohol spectrum stores and, and in, in the CFAS consortium started with working with a 3D camera, trying to better understand the facial changes um, and facial differences among individuals who've been exposed to alcohol prenatally. And first of all, to understand them, understand how they differ among individuals of different backgrounds um, and different races and ethnicities, but also to think about how can we identify those really subtle differences. The challenge we had was we really couldn't enroll very large numbers of individuals. It's, Leah will, will attest this, you can ask her about this. It's heavy to carry around a camera around the world trying to take pictures. Children squirm, it's really hard to, it's really hard work. And so you can't enroll very large numbers of individuals. And a lot of what we do, and not only in the CFAS study, but in all FASD research, is we struggle to really be able to engage large numbers of individuals. And most people have to come into a a healthcare center or a hospital. And a lot of people don't live anywhere near that. And, and they would be willing to participate in research, but it's just not, not convenient. It's not possible. They've got too much going on in their lives. So in this last iteration of the CFAS consortium, what we said is we'd like to pilot and see, is there a way for individuals to participate in research? What we, you know, in academia call remotely. In other words, from your home. And so we did this with a couple different angles that we wanted to do. The first was, could you do a study entirely remotely? And the advantage of that, of course, is more people could do it. You could engage and have people of many different ages participate in the study. The other thing that we could do is we could continue to try to collect um, faces, which is an important part of our work, which is trying to understand, again, the potential spectrum. Um, we've heard about some potential uh, facial differences. But, you know, we can't, do care, you know, can't send everybody a 3D camera. So we decided, can we do it with just a phone that we're all carrying around in our pockets? Can we do this well with a phone? 
that allows many more people to participate in research. Now, I told you at the very beginning, I'm a geneticist and really why I was excited to get involved in this phase now, this last five years of FASD, is we know that people with potentially similar amounts of prenatal alcohol exposure don't have the same outcomes. It can be incredible variability. What underlies that? Well, one of the things we're speculating is perhaps our underlying genetics. Some people just might have what we describe. Um, our genetic background might make us more resilient to the exposure to prenatal alcohol, or perhaps more um, susceptible to that. So the second part of this project is we wanted to be able to start to do a study that would ask about could genetics potentially play a role in, what, in the variation that we see. So again, we needed to have a way that we could collect DNA from somebody in their home, and we do that with saliva. So you have a little kit that you send to individuals and they spit right in there and then you send that back in. So we're able to do that. That's the second piece of what we do in this study. The third piece is, you know, usually if you go into a study, they have you fill out a whole bunch of forms. You have your pen and paper, you know, kids are crying in the corner. It's really chaotic. Now we do it all online and individuals can do it all in one city when kids are in bed. People can do it at home. You know, during the day, you can figure out when you want to fill out the information and the kind of information we're collecting is around if it's a parent describing the prenatal alcohol exposure, if they're aware of it, of the child during pregnancy, and we provide, collect information. We collect information about demographics of the individual, obviously the age, but also tell us more about things that are going well, things that are, are not a health um, or a medical or clinical complication, and also things that are challenging. And so we try to gather that whole spectrum of challenges, those that are or are not. And we're trying to gather that and be able to map that with what we're going to study from DNA, what we're going to be able to gather from looking at faces. So it's really the ability to do this whole study online. And that's partly why we want to talk about it with your listeners, because your listeners are probably listening to this at home. And this is something, if someone's interested in participating in research, all ages can participate and is something that allows individuals to engage in research and hopefully do it in a way that is comfortable for them and easy for them. And that's really the bottom line of what the research study is and to see what kind of participation we can get from that. Two wonderful things, Tatiana, from, from what you said. First of all, yes, you are 100% right. I wanted you all to be on our episode today to talk about the research study because there are so many listeners out there that they can be a part of learning the whys behind FASD. So yes, so I, I, we will be sharing that information at the end of this episode. Secondly, had a question before we, we jump into our next question. Talking about doing a study 100% remotely, was this concept, so this concept of doing an entirely remote study, this was thought of long before COVID, correct? Maybe before, pre-COVID. So we're now in our fourth year. And so, so we were thinking about it before, but it's perfect timing for, exactly. for COVID. That's exactly what I was thinking. And thinking of other researchers around the world who can look at you all and say, hey, we're doing this 100% remote study. And that really just changes how research is done. You know, like you said, often we think of large clinics, everybody comes in, enters everything. You all are like almost like creating a new way to engage in, in research for science, for, you know, the scientific community. So that just really, you know, makes me think of this is a really great method of research that should be utilized you know, so much more often. So thank you. 
Thank you. I mean, and I, and I do think just, just the last thing I could, I can't resist adding one more thing if I can. And again, it's, it's in our real hope is that individuals who couldn't participate in, in more traditional ways, and that gives us a whole window on a whole group of research participants that normally don't get to participate and we don't learn about them. So we really hope it gives us a chance to engage really the broader community. Absolutely. So Wonderful. Oh my goodness. So now let's talk about in the past year, what you all have primarily focused on with your research and with the DIG study. And we'll start with Janine. Yeah, so this goes right along with, you know, what Tatiana was just talking about. One of our main focuses in the last year is really to streamline the study process um, to make it easier to navigate. There are so many, um, so many fantastic things going on within DigFast, but there are lots of different moving parts. So we so greatly appreciate everyone's time who does participate. And it's important to us that that experience goes smoothly and is accessible. Um, the other thing that we've been working on is making the study a little easier to find as well and to share. And, you know, we want to spread the word about the study, but also about FASDs in general. Um, so Abby specifically helped uh, create some amazing, great educational posts, answering questions about the study and about FASDs, and those uh, families can share those to help with advocacy and understanding to increase, you know, knowledge and um, help people to know about DigFast in general. And Leah, I know you also have something to add to this question. One of the investigators in our consortium is Dr. Sarah Matson, and she actually works very closely with someone that you interviewed recently, um, Dr. Jeff Wozniak. And they, they work together on neurocognitive and behavioral measures. And she has been, she's been studying these neurocognitive and behavioral measures. And since there's so much variability in, in these things, you know, even with the similar amounts of exposure, like, like Tatiana mentioned, we want to be able to tap into, to, into that and see, try to capture those differences and compare them to the genetic background of, of different people. And so Dr. Masson has worked really hard to be able to create, it's like an online game because it ha has to be online because people need to do it from their home. So as long as they have an internet access, they can do this, we call it BRAIN. And uh, it stands for, uh, I don't even remember what it stands for. <laughs> Abby can help me remember that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an online game in a way, and, and, and it measures different things in a fun way. It measures how people can remember spatial working memory. They remember, you know, visually things in, in space, um, some, a little bit of math, I think, and, and other things. It's, it's just like a little short game, and it's all online, and people can, can complete it, and then they finish, and they get paid to do it. Can I tuck something else in? So let me add to that. So for those of you who've participated in research and you've been involved in doing synapses, it's pencil and paper tests. So if you've watched that be done, sometimes there um, are tests that might be on a computer. There's a whole variety of tests. What you're trying to do is, I don't want to say it's not the same, but you're trying to mimic that, but doing that online and also recognizing that we're working with children. So um, much of this is focused toward um, younger children and thinking about how do we engage them? How do you keep their attention? Because, um, of course, you know, maintaining attention in ADHD can be one of the challenges that can be seen in FASD. So the real goal here is to be able to have some assessments of the ability for attention, cognition, and just to be able to do that again in an online setting. And, and that, you know, back to your, your comment earlier, Natalie, this is really around how far can we push this line? 
how far can we make something that takes hours off in the clinical setting? How can we turn it into something that we can do potentially in a shorter period of time in a remote setting? Some of these things will work. Some of them will need to be improved, but this is a great way for us to keep pushing that boundary. And I just want to make sure because so many people will have had that experience. And so we're I want to make sure they realize this is what they're, it's the same kind of thing, but just hopefully in a more fun setting. I Can I that. add one more thing to that too? So um, Dr. Wozniak talked about the plasticity of the brain and how it continues to grow as people age. And, you know, most, in fact, I think almost all research studies on FASD have been with children. And that's the advantage to our study is we have adults and it would be, this is a really fantastic opportunity for us to learn what happens as the adult ages and you know what happens to their plasticity how their brain functions how their impulsive behavior or you know everything how, how does that change into adulthood i'm just i'm loving this interview because not only am i learning about this wonderful research study and how you all are learning and advancing research in fasd i just love how you all are taking this process that a lot of people think is, is lengthy and clunky and everything and just streamlining it and making it remote and accessible. Accessible really is a word that, that comes to mind. So I, I just love hearing that. Thank you, Leah. So we're going to talk about goals for 2022 because you all have accomplished so much with this study. And um, we're airing this episode in the beginning of, of 2022. So Abby, what goals does the DIG FASD research study have for 2022? Yeah, so the most important part of the DIG FAST study is the people and families who participate. Um, and since we've started, we have recruited just over 600 individuals, um, and we really hope to get this number up to 2,000 by the end of the study. So a lot of our goals for 2022 surround recruiting more participants and like Janine mentioned, getting the word out about the study. Um, Tatiana and Janine have also talked about how our study can be completed entirely from home too. So we encourage anyone anywhere in the world um, to enroll. So far, this has included countries such as the United States and Canada, um, but also some in Europe as well as Australia. And I'm already thinking of people to to refer you all to that I have interviewed and actually podcasting friends, too, because, oh, my goodness, th this is such an amazing opportunity that is a global opportunity to learn about FASD. So that's fantastic, Abby. I guess what I'd like our listeners to know are what are the biggest takeaways that you as this wonderful research group want our audience to know about your findings of this study so far and just the importance of this study. So Tatiani, let's start with you. So let me start with what we've learned um, so far in this phase, but also partly in our previous phases. So one of the things we've, we've begun to learn about is thinking about um, the face um, and the facial features. So I've, I've suggested to you that, you know, if you've, if you've got listeners, who have gone to a clinic in the past um, where there's a, whether it's a geneticist or it could be a pediatrician, um, is trying to assess whether or not they think the individual is likely to have been exposed to alcohol prenatally. One of the first thing that individual does is they start looking at the face. And so one of the things that we've learned as part of this study is 
the ability with our colleagues, um, Mike Setti and Chris Nelliker in the UK, is just literally how do we take high quality photos um, and how do we train individuals to be able to take photos that they're going to be able to analyze? They've been analyzing those um, these facial images. So what we do, for those of you who are thinking about it, we take it both the individual from the front and also from the side. So what we call like a profile. So we really optimized how that protocol can be done. How do we teach someone to take those pictures, high quality pictures, so they'll be able to analyze them? We've begun to look at whether or not um, anything related to our genetic findings, can we identify any differences that might be related to genetics? It's clear um, for those of you who, who start to think about that, there's clear that there are differences among individuals of different ancestries. Um, faces um, look different, okay? But how do we really be able to characterize and help us be able to identify individuals of many different races from around the world and that exposure to um, prenatal alcohol exposure. So I think we're making progress in that regard with our colleagues. I, I would say one of the challenges we have is the ability to enroll a wide variety of individuals from diverse backgrounds. And so I would really say this is in part a call out that we really need um, all individuals who are willing to participate. That's something we really, um, we, we tend to understand um, FASDs in individuals of, of European ancestry, what we will call someone who's white. But we still do not have very good data around individuals of other ethnicities. So I would really just like to call that out as something that we have a need for. And I think in this study, we're trying to make a difference here, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, I would stress that. The other piece is we're just piloting the study that, that Leah was describing about the brain. So we're really interested in being able to engage more individuals around that. Um, the other area that, and, and part of what we're in the middle of still data collection, so I can't tell you the results, but I wanna call out the areas where I know it's really important. The other areas we're working with our CFAS colleagues who are very interested in long, later life, I don't wanna say later life, adult, adult challenges for individuals who have FASDs. And so what I'd really like to call out that that is a really poorly understood and poorly studied age. There's a lot of focus on children, very appropriately, but we need to also think about what about when an individual is in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And we really, that is not well studied at all. And you know, while we certainly have an interest in interventions, we also need to be able to inform physicians about what should they be thinking about and looking for? What should we be aware of? And, and that is very, very poorly understood. So part of the data we are collecting is actually to work with our partners whose projects in CFAS are focused on individuals in adulthood and later life. So we're collecting data that we're gonna be sharing with them so that they'll have a larger number of individuals from whom they can analyze that data. So that's still ongoing and being collected. I would just call out if there are individuals um, who are adults um, where they've been diagnosed or it's suspected um, of an FASD, I would really like to do a call out. This is a study where they can participate and really make a difference because there is so much more research really needed in this area. So I just really want to stress that. So I, I, I wish I could say I have tons of results. We're in the middle of data gathering, um, but I just wanted to call out a couple areas where I really, um, I'd like your viewers to, listeners to hear are really important for us to better understand and we could really use them. I hope that's okay. So call to action, everybody who's listening, call to action number one, we need more participants 
from all cultures everywhere around the world. If you are listening and I'm so thankful that our podcast has a global audience, you know, we have a large audience in the US, but we also have a, a nice audience globally. So if you are listening and you're not participating, if your loved one is not participating and you can participate, please, we're again going to share the information at the at the end of this episode. So that's call to action number one. Call to action number two speaks to my heart because I'm the mom of a young adult who has an FASD. And I agree a thousand percent, Tatiana. There is little support services, information about adults with FASD. And, and this is where, again, this this I'm so thankful that you all are doing this and so thankful that you're on FASD Hope because we know and I have emails and messages from so many listeners who have young adults and adults with FASD. And they ask, where do I look? What do I do? You know, do. And unfortunately, many times I'm like, you know, I'm looking along with you. So if you have a young adult or an adult with an FASD, or you are a young adult or an adult with an FASD, contact DIG research, DIG FASD research. This is a call to action. So thank you, Tatiana. That's awesome. Janine, can you also tell me some more takeaways that you'd like our listening audience to know about the research study? Of course. Um, so as a genetic counselor, one of my main interests is helping people understand mostly just how complex genetics can be. Um, so, you know, as Tatiana mentioned before, one of the main focuses of the study is genetics. And our genes are, they, they are the instructions within our cells that tell our body how to grow and develop and function. We've got thousands of genes, you know, in each of our cells. Uh, but each person's genetic makeup is slightly different, uh, which is one of the things that makes us all so unique. Um, but there are many other things that can play a role in how we develop and who we are. So for FASDs, we use the term multifactorial, meaning that there are many different factors that play a role in FASD. Some of those may be genetic and others are certainly environmental, but there's no one gene for FASD, right? Um, genes play a role in why some people with FASDs may be affected differently. Um, it may play a role in why some people are more at risk for FASDs or why certain symptoms appear in some people and not others. Uh, and so as part of this study, we're trying to better understand that complexity and how genetics fits into the larger puzzle. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So call to action. We want people to learn. We want people to participate. We want to get those numbers up. Currently 600 and the goal is 2000. Is that correct? That's correct. So we've right. got a ways to go. All right. So now here's where the rubber hits the road. Let's, Abby, if you can tell us how listeners can learn more or even get information about participating in the DIG Fest research study. Absolutely. So if people have specific questions or just like to talk to us, they can contact our study team directly um, by calling us. Our study phone number is 844-378-0002, or they can email us at fasd at iu.edu. Um, people can also learn more about the study by visiting our study website, which is digfasd.org. Um, that's digfasd.org. Um, and then finally, a great way to stay up to date and connected with us is to follow us on our social media platforms. Um, 
Our handle is at FASD Research on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you, Abby. And all of this information will be shared not only in our program notes for today's episode, but on our social media uh, posts this week when we uh, share our episode. So thank you. And you all know, um, you all did your homework, which I love. You all know that I love to end our episodes on hope. And we have hope in research because we learn from research and we can grow and develop interventions and supports and services. So Janine, can you share some words of hope that our listeners can take with them on their FASD journeys? Of course. Um, you know, Natalie, one of the things that I've been struck by in getting to work on this study is just how many amazing people are working together on FASD research. Um, you know, if you're a parent or a person with FASD themselves, it, it, it can be easy to feel alone. As you mentioned, there's resources can be difficult to find. It can be a struggle even just explain to people what FASDs are. And so I'm sure I don't need to tell you. Um, but I think it really is important to know that you're not on your own. Um, there is this community across the nation, really across the globe, working together to understand FASDs better. Uh, researchers, healthcare providers, families, parents, children, adults, you know, we are all part of a team. And I think that's pretty powerful. Wonderful words of hope from a wonderful, wonderful team. DIG FASD research team based in Indiana University School of Medicine. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope today. Natalie, thank you for having thank us. You. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. This yes, was so, so much. much. This was a lot of fun. And I hope you all will come back maybe at the end of this year to give us an update. Absolutely. We'd love to. Fantastic. And thank all you right. for all you're doing, Natalie. We appreciate it. I was going to say thank oh. you, Natalie. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.